Hey, I'm Daniel Jose Older, one of the lead story architects of Star Wars, The High Republic, and you are listening to The Living Force. Welcome to The Living Force Podcast. Let's make this our best show ever! A Utini Podcast Network production. Are you really the chief of this village? Episode 138, Ronin Roundtable Part 2. You don't look like one of the villagers. On this episode, a fantasy football update. Just a simple wanderer. The Utini Gift-Giving Guide. So you're a Jedi. And the Utini crew continues their conversation about the Star Wars Visions novel Ronin by Emma Miko Kandon. Did you honestly think you could stand a chance against a Dark Lord? And now, here are your hosts. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Hankel, Wes Jenkins, and special guest host Tom Holler. Hello everyone, welcome in! To the Living Force Podcast, a Utini Network podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight to talk all things Ronin again is the full cast of characters, including, oh, what is the superlative for you this week? The Dr. Corey Helton. I didn't think of one. Well, that's the best you got. <laughs> hey, man, Absolutely incredible. You're just very level this week. You just had a week. It's just been a week, it did. you know? It did. It's been a wild week. It's been a wild week. Uh, we have tons of Star Wars news happening. We have... Books coming out, books to read, books to talk about. Yeah, you know. we, we have <laughs> books coming life. out. Books. <laughs> Movies are canceled. TV shows aren't trailered, but books are everywhere. Just yeah. like the all-encompassing, somewhat oppressive presence of Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, man. <laughs> somewhat hey, oppressive. Um, sorry, y'all are going to have to get back to me. I'm busy watching this Mysterious Galaxy stream right now. The Tim and Tom <laughs> no! Power. <laughs> oh, that is true. Uh, that's fine. Right now, there is a, a stream of someone slightly more famous than us, which is uh, uh, Timothy Zahn, is uh, hanging out with uh, with Tom, our buddy from Delray, talking all things Thrawn Ascendancy. But that's okay, because you know what we got? We got freaking Wes Jenkins! Everybody is tuning in to listen and view me, of course. Yeah! Because, um, they're excited that I finished the book. Exactly. <laughs> we must mark these monumentous occasions, and you know it's important because the four of us are here doing this show instead of playing the Halo Infinite beta, which dropped surprisingly today. Mm, it hurts. So after <laughs> yeah. this show, we will be definitely playing that. Uh, but hello oh, to all of you that are hanging out with us tonight. Make sure if you're watching this live, like the video. And I'm going to start doing this earlier. If you like our show, you can follow us on Twitter at Living Force Pod. That's where we're going to talk about the show. We'll talk about little Star Wars stuff now and then. We have our individual handles. I'll talk about later on in the show. But make sure you can follow us wherever we put out our content. couple things before we get into our brief weekly roundup and the Ronin Roundtable Part 2. I wanted to share a cool experience I had this week with y'all. On Friday, Disney Plus Day, I went to an AMC theater at night because they had a surprise Star Wars screening. They said, on Disney Plus Day, they showed, like, a Disney animated movie during the day. They showed, like, a live-action Disney film. And then at 9.15, they're like, we're going to show a Star Wars movie. Didn't say what it was. It was just going to be a Star Wars movie on the big screen. And I was like, you know what? I don't get to do these really much anymore. So I went, and it was Rogue One, which was amazing. Because I haven't seen this in theaters since it came out. And when they do the saga rewatches, you know, for, like, Last Jedi and Last Skywalker, they never did Rogue One. They only did the saga films. True. Um, like I gotta say, guys, it's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
It's always Did a good you know experience. Rogue One was going to be playing before you got there? I had a thought a because they put a runtime in there of two hours, 13 mm. minutes. And then so I Googled like Star Wars runtime. Oh, yeah. okay. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it it's Rogue One. Your head, you're like, oh, Rogue One, two hours, 13 minutes. Well, I, I will now forever. <laughs> uh, but I got to say, dudes, as cliche as it is to say, seeing it on the big screen again for the first time in years, I did catch some stuff that I, I've missed. Like, really? I got new things. Like, the audio and, like, seeing everything. Like, we found the ghost way more times in the Battle of Scarif than I had before because I can see every ship because it's yeah, a giant sure. screen. And, I mean, That's cool. I, will, I will stand by the last hour of Rogue One is is maybe the best Star Wars ever gets. Like, it is I, I think you're right. 100%. Impeachable. It's definitely the best movie experience, theater experience, I think, of any Star Wars film that, mm-hmm. like, everybody was quiet, nobody yep. laughed or booed or did anything stupid. Everyone was just there for just it existed. for Rogue One. So yeah. I love that. We got to plan our um, our watch along up here. Yeah, in, we do. Uh, next, our watch along roundtable. We're hoping to get this in now. Maybe not before Thanksgiving. That's next week, but we're still, we may try. We might be able to do it. We'll be doing that soon. Of course, for all our patrons who we love, and we hope you're enjoying the Attack of the Clones. But one other thing I wanted to say that happened at the movie theater, they showed the Book of Boba Fett trailer on the big screen. Oh, wow. Really? So oh, that was cool. rad. Yeah, I was that like... Is super whoa. rad. Yeah. And like they're, they're shooting it for TV, I, and I get that. But I got to say, watching that trailer, I was like, man, I wish I could see these all in a movie theater. Because <laughs> it was really cool. Did you notice really anything cool. different? <laughs> in that one, not so much. Because yeah. they've done a really excellent job, I think, framing it for TV screens so you don't miss stuff when you're watching it on a smaller screen. Because, like, you know, they you're going to be in your living room or on your laptop or whatever it's going to be. But it was just really rad seeing him with, like, the the, the weapon at the end where he goes, and just, like, smashes their face out, like, on a giant movie screen. So. Or on your phone in the bathroom stall at work. That's yeah. a, you know what? We got to do what we got to do, man. <laughs> yeah, we were – we, we have a little project that Utini's working on that I think we should uh, drop here in a second. But uh, I was looking around at some T-shirts on Amazon today, mm-hmm. and there's a whole section under the Star Wars store on Amazon oh, um, no. that has Book of Boba Fett shirts. Oh, I, like, don't tell me that, these? Corey! Dude, no. there's, a, there's a ton of Boba Fett stuff. Like, it's not, it's not, it's all new, and it's, like, yeah. really well done. It's not cheesy at all. Like, it's... Good stuff. Like, Dude, the Star Wars shirts, I mean, hey, I'm wearing a Starlight Beacon shirt from Amazon right now. Like, they, the Amazon Star Wars shirts are absolutely good. And, yes, let's I, – I do want to talk about that thing you're talking about, which is – sorry, listeners, that's horrible content. Um, before we do, I want to say one more thing, so let's put that in the weekly roundup. Uh, let's do the fantasy update. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to lose again. Uh, as of right now, <laughs> I have a 48% chance to win based on how Odell Beckham Jr. does tonight. Uh, you know, it's not great. Wes, you wow, ran well away with it way. this week. Oh, my I'm goodness. I'm well on my way. Um, I don't know that I ran away with it. I just scored oh. more points than, like, one of the lowest scoring teams in the league. No, no, you, you, had, the, you had the Cowboys <laughs> defense. I helped you out. Um, That's right. But for everyone following <laughs> along at home, just a quick reminder. Our buddy Jacob over in the Cosmic Force is still winning the league. He is 8-1. and one. Uh, and he has all his waiver money still, which is very humbling for me, who has none. Yeah, I, I totally had zero dollars. Um, second place is Emma, also from the Cosmic Force. Uh, at seven and two. And then we have our buddy Tim Guthrie. We have our buddy James. We have Tyler from the Cosmic Force at five. <laughs> and then Wes is the first Living Force person at number six, and I am at number nine. So our podcast really, really not representing well in the fantasy Listen. league. 
Is it? Oh, oh yeah. No, er, deserve that. Is it top six in the playoffs, or is it top four? Ah, it's probably top six. It's not me, so I haven't looked. Um, <laughs> but whatever. The Cowboys won forty-three to three, so I had a good week. But not as good as the week I had. Nope, that's not a good segue. Every day is better because of the patrons. Sorry, I couldn't make it work, everyone, this time. But patrons, we want to say, as we always do, thank you so much for your support of this show and everything we do. Uh, we are $20 away right now, away from our Revenge of the Sith commentary, which, if you remember from our previous conversation two minutes ago, is already going to be two commentaries ahead of where we are. Uh, but we had a really, really great Patreon meeting last week about some future goals and some future things we're going to outline for the Patreon community because the support has been so overwhelming that we really want to be intentional about what's coming up. So we have a lot of cool stuff coming your way, and we got some behind-the-scenes stuff coming out. Like today, our very own Timothy Guthrie, our CFO, posted a video of him unboxing his new Halo Xbox Series X that he got in the mail today. And we're hoping to put out more stuff like that, too. Like some behind-the-scenes stuff for you just to kind of see us and what we do, maybe either behind-the-scenes of the shows or aside from Star Wars, um, just as thank yous. So thank you to every single one of you for helping us out. And, uh, you know, 20 more dollars, we're doing Red as a Sith. So we will basically have hit all the prequels and Rogue One uh, for commentary. So very excited for that. Let's go to the aforementioned Star Wars Weekly Roundup. First things first, we're going to keep this slightly brief because we have a roundtable to get to. Uh, I like to get mail as a Star Wars person. It usually means books, it usually means lightsabers, it usually means something I have impulse bought and have now a little bit of regret about. But today... I got one of the most special pieces of mail I've ever gotten as a Star Wars fan, and it was from our friends at Disney Lucasfilm, and it was some promo stuff about the next wave of the High Republic. Um, to start off, I got this. I don't think I have it with me. The mailer itself had a stamp that said Star Wars The High Republic on it, like the piece of mail, which was rad. Um, and I got this little package, and I opened it up, and I got this little note from Michael Seglane, who is the creative director at Lucasfilm Publishing, basically saying that the High Republic is doing super well, and it is coming to an end of the first phase. And he was thanking everyone for their support, so it was a beautiful little personalized note. Uh, I also got this little sales sheet here that outlined, let's see if I can get this all in frame, the first three waves of Star Wars High Republic. So all the comics, wow. the audio dramas, the mangas, the books, just all in order there. And even more helpfully, on the back was an actual reading order. One of the things we always get asked is, oh. if I want to read The High Republic, what is the correct order? And publishing order is kind of the go-to, but here, I'll hold this up. For people watching at home, if you want to pause the video, bam, there's your reading order. And it includes the Star Wars Insider short stories. It includes the kids' books, like The Great Jedi Rescue, the sticker books. So if you want to go bit by bit by bit, according to the official publicity, publicity department, there we go, of Lucasfilm, they sent that along. They also sent along this really freaking cool thing, which was an autographed lithograph. Say that ten times fast. Of this thing that looks like a Nile masquerade that apparently gives us an insight into um, Midnight Horizon, which is Daniel Jose Older's book. He's the one that signed it there. And this thing is just gorgeous. It's got, frankly, some very sexy Nile um, yeah. <laughs> wearing some formal wear and wearing their masks. So if this is any hint at what's going on, it's kind of like... Go a little gothic, I guess, yeah. and it looks like maybe are they in the flames of Starlight Beacon here? Is that I what don't that know, is? Maybe. Like post-apocalypse ballroom, yeah. cyberpunk vibes. It looks really cool. It looks ridiculously rad. The coloring is gorgeous. Um, and then it ended with a uh, 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 image that has been my lock screen for a while, which was the High Republic promo image of who's gonna die. 
Um, they said this giant poster that I got to find space for in my apartment um, with Phil Noto's just gorgeous art and, of course, the tagline of who will survive when the light of the Jedi goes dark. So, <laughs> ultimately, this was just a really phenomenal way to kind of publicize the ending of Phase 1 that's coming in January and get us all even more hyped. Uh, so, a final thank you to our friends over at Disney Lucasfilm for sending this my way and to all of you. I hope that these images just make you <laughs> so excited for what's coming up in literally a month and a half. Cannot wait. Another thing I'm going to talk about. Seems heavy. It is, it is much heavier than that. Is a book review. We haven't done a reference book review in quite a while. And with the holidays coming up and with the thing that Corey's going to talk about in just a second, this next thing may be pretty helpful. And that is, from our friends at DK Publishing, Star Wars Battles That Changed the Galaxy. This is, there we go, show you the thickness. Everything seems really not thick compared to Thrawn Ascendancy Lesser Evil now, but it is thick. Uh, <laughs> going me wrong. This is a $40 reference book. It is written, let me get the author page in here. It is written by Jason Fry, Cole Horton, Chris Kempshaw, and Amy Ratcliffe. And it is essentially a reference book that is detailing all the battles of the Star Wars canon from a militaristic perspective. So, for instance, it has a bunch of double page spreads like this. And let's say you want the Battle of Kashyyyk. It'll tell you the date. It'll tell you the location of it's the planet, but also, like, is it mid-rim? Is it outer rim? It'll tell you what combatants, what armies were in there, the outcome... It'll also tell you the main commanders. So, like, for this, it's General Luminara and General Linwodo, who was destroyed in action by the Separatists, of course. And it tells you what tanks were used, what weapons were used. It gives you a play-by-play of the battle. It tells you what the turning point in the battle was. And we do not only have battles like Utapau and Kashyyyk from the movies. We also have battles from the comics. Like, we're talking um, OT battles. We got... The Makota battle from Charles Soul. I believe this was Charles Soul's uh, Star Wars run. And it tells you this is where General Tadana uh, was fighting and Darth Vader. And it has panels from the comics and things like that. And what I love about this is what they've been so, 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 so good at is making sure that all the battles across all the forms of media carry the same weight. So all these, you know, does Yavin get a little more screen time than maybe, you know, a battle from a random Clone Wars episode? It does. Fine. But this was a little more happened in there. But it's got all of them from starting at the Battle of Naboo, I believe, is the first one in here. And then all the way through the Battle of Exegol. So you get, ba- that is the timeline. So we're not getting High Republic battles in this. Um, or we're not getting, like, you know, battles post-Exegol as of yet. But it's just a really sweet reference book. Again, if you're a reference book collector, I hope you've picked this up. It came out a couple weeks ago. But if you haven't, it's a really cool, honestly, holiday gift for someone that, Maybe if they're not super into the books, you can say, hey, if you're not a fan of Star Wars comics, maybe read this. And then when they're like, oh, this battle is incredible. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened in this comic book. That happened in this regular book. And it makes them realize all Star Wars is still super, super important. And the last thing I want to show about this is that in the beginning here, it gives you a map of the galaxy, which I need all the time, with the planets numbered. So you can see what is in what rim, how far is Naboo from Tatooine, and it has a, a timeline of all, it's not as pretty as the Utini timeline on utini.com, plug, but it is still a great timeline that shows you all the battles that they're going to show in there. So, highly recommend this. Um, the only thing I will say, there are some images, some film images, that when they're blown up, they're slightly blurry. I wish they were, the pixel count was a little higher, if you will, on the high-res images, um, but the, the comic scans are, are gorgeous. They're picture perfect, and I think some of it, just the old film was a little harder to transpose under the size of paper. But 
Other than that, it is an absolute must-have for anyone that is interested in the militaristic side of Star Wars. And come on, who isn't? Whew. So, all right. Battles that change the galaxy. Love that. Thanks to our friends at DK again for sending that our way. And if you want that, you can use the affiliate link at Utini. Go to our recent releases page or just look it up on the site. we got affiliate links where you can order those for the holidays. And you can make sure you order Thrawn Ascendancy Lesser Evil because at time of recording, it's coming out tomorrow. That's right. It's finally Thrawn Day again. The entire trilogy that got released in just over a year, which is insane, finally comes out tomorrow. And as always, you can find a written review on utini.com. You can also find a video review on this very YouTube channel that our buddy Nathan did, including his video recap of Greater Good, which matches the recap of Greater Good we put on the site. So all the thrown things you need are on the website, are on the YouTube channel. Check it out. Corey, what crazy project did you make up this past week that people now need to know about? <laughs> crazy project. Which one, Eric? <laughs> uh, the one that, that is now a website. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we've been uh, Utini internally every single year uh, for the last three years or so. We've had a little secret Santa uh, where we all like, exchange names and get people uh, from across the country, across the world, regardless where you're at on the team, you can participate. We also let our high-level patrons participate as well. Everyone in the Jedi High Council also gets to participate in the Utini Company Secret Santa, which is super fun. The last couple of years, we've had like a big Zoom call uh, to open our gifts, like, all live on camera and stuff. It's been a ton of fun. Um, well, this year, for the Secret Santa, we were all talking about um, buying each other Star Wars gifts and how we were going to do it. And we sort of realized how challenging it is, I think, to, like, shop for Star Wars gifts for people. Because if you search for stuff on Amazon, it's just kind of a nightmare. There's just millions of things, and it's a lot of it's junk and not really, like you know, nice quality stuff. Like we're all like kind of diehard Star Wars fans, right? We don't want like, you know, dollar store level stuff. Like we like nicer, nicer, nicer stuff, right? I don't really know how we're else fancy. That's like, what you're saying. We're yeah, elite. we're fancy. We have taste, right? We have taste and we're elitist, you know, and there's lots of guides out there for how to buy for like the Star Wars fan that has everything and things like that. But like, I don't know. I just figured it would be easier to find things if if you had people that could like help you do that so i got this crazy idea and we put it into effect in record time right i, I created <laughs> a I created a business plan i created some documents and uh we are launching this week later this week by the time the podcast comes out it will probably be probably be live uh the week of 11 15 2021 we are going to release a new website utini.gifts g-i-f-t gift like christmas gift right utini.gifts uh, and this is a new website with just giant curated list of Star Wars stuff. Um, it'll be an excellent way to help us uh, generate some extra income around the holidays because a lot of uh, some of them, not all of them actually, are affiliate links. Um, but we've like just kind of combed the internet to find really cool Star Wars gifts, stuff that we would like ourselves. Right, so if you need to, uh, you know, slide a little hint, hint across the table to the loved ones in your life of like, you know, <laughs> hey, I, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. You know, I am, but shopping for me has got to be impossible. You know, the team at Utini has sort of put together, you know, a really cool list of content, and it's nicely organized, uh, mm -hmm. based in like all kinds of stuff. If you like, if you want things for the home, things for your office, if you like Star Wars Legos, we picked like kind of everything, and we have like like several hundred items uh, in the database for it right now. So uh, everybody on the team like, volunteered to take some different themes, and um, it's really coming together. It's going to be a really cool little experiment to see if we can generate some traffic and, uh, you know, kind of help folks 
shot for the Star Wars fans in their life. So that's the plan. Check it out later this week. Utini.gifts. We're going to start running ads on all of our shows for it here in the next couple of weeks, um, hopefully before the holidays. So uh, check it out. There you go. Yeah, so it's not just the top 10 gifts for Star Wars fans. It's, you know what? Why, if you're a home goods person that wants Star Wars things, you want Boba Fett things, you want gamer things, yeah. very excited. And I will say, as someone who has been here since day, basically day one at Utini, it's the fastest, most enthusiastic thing I've seen us come up with uh, so far. So... Very excited for us, and as you're going through the website, know that Corey coded it all by himself because he got a little bored, and it looks great. Um, Corey, you make really pretty websites. Thanks, man. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, and of course, if you just want to get books, head on over to Eugenie.com. Check out that new releases page. Get Thrawn Ascendancy Lesser Evil. If you can, again, pre-orders, pre-orders, pre-orders because of supply chain issues, but if not... Next book is Fallen Stars, High Republic, month and a half. Get those pre-orders in. You're going to want that. And Midnight Horizon, they both come out on January 4th. All right, Charles, we talked a lot last week. We shall talk more this week. Let us get back into Ronin. Yeah, it's time, and we're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right back into the character section where we left off. Uh, just to remind you, I'm going to give you a few quotes that I think are kind of key related to these characters and then uh, give you a prompt or two. Y'all can take the conversation wherever you want. All right, so we ended last week talking about the Traveler. This week, we are going to start by talking about Kuru. And now the first quote I have for you is from page 279 that says this, The spoken conundrum. If the witch had raised Kuru to kill Grimm and Kuru had failed to do so, then why did she still have any hands to speak of? Why was she not once more dead and formless, a memory in the cosmic unquantity of the Force? And the second quote I have for you is this, from page 302, came from much later in the book, right towards the end. She had, for a fleeting stretch, possessed bright purpose. Take the ghosts in the kyber, deliver them to their proper death. Do this not because you desire it, but because you are trusted to. Because trust is something outside of who you are, and who you are is vulnerable to every kind of control. So it's better by far to be driven by that which you aren't. Kuru couldn't trust herself. Herself was not her own. But given another's trust, she had clung to it viciously. And so my prompt for you is really based on the fact that Kuru's story is one of being controlled by outside forces. right? The Jedi, the witch, etc. And she never really quite felt her own, yet she strove to reject the expectation and influence of others to essentially carve out her own identity, her own purpose. Do you think that she was able to accomplish that by the end of the novel? Mm. Ooh. Uh, That's a good question. I think, to an extent, absolutely. I think Kuru's, I think is maybe, other than the Traveler, probably the most fascinating character for me in this book because a character that was clearly created in the anime to be like the villain, the bad guy for the Ronin to do a cool thing. And then to be kind of the catalyst for the rest of the story is interesting. Like she didn't even like this in, in, in terms of narrative structure, she already didn't control anything. Like the the story reacted, you know? So I, I think in, in the most meta way, she never really quite controlled anything, but by the end of it, realizing that her purpose lied not in what she wanted to do but in what others wouldn't trust her to do because i don't it feel like she was ever trusted in her life mm-hmm. i feel like in her death in a weird way she was finally trusted and i think that's why she stuck around i mean at the end of it that kind of beautiful moment where she's like yep i'm i'm still here i'm gonna keep doing what i'm doing i think it's because she realizes that 
death is not the end. Life's not life's not even the beginning. Yeah, it's just if others trust you, then that's her purpose. So whatever realm she's in, whatever she's doing, all it took was one mission, one person to believe in her, which is also so depressing. Because man, if what if someone had believed in her, <laughs> you know, fifteen years ago before she had done all right. this stuff, and she wouldn't have had to go through all those trials. So I think right. she get it. I think she got there. You know, it took me a long time to figure out if, like, she was the villain. <laughs> Sorry, someone else is going to take this because my wife just got home with dogs and crazy. Yeah, so I, I mean, I totally thought she was the villain. First, when you watch um, the duel from Star Wars Visions, you're like, that person there is definitely the villain because, A, we saw Grimm as being the hero mm-hmm. because he saved the village, and then here comes... Here comes the the Marauders. Here comes um, and here comes Kudru, the the uh, like the the big bad. But essentially, she is she gets trusted by um, by the group, which is a big turn in the story. Which you and she trusts them as well to help, like helps the kids right mm-hmm. uh, um, to get out of the cave. Um, so, I mean, it it was difficult for me to see where it was going at the very end, though. Like, like you were yeah. saying, Eric, like all she needed was somebody to trust her. Um, but going like where is she? Is she still the villain, though? Is she still villainous <clears throat> at the end, even though yeah. she's she's um... am I the villain? I don't think I'm the villain. <laughs> <laughs> am I she, the drama? by others, you know, she, uh, she reminds me a lot about. of uh, of Maul and his character arc. Ooh, right. Yeah, because, that's like, a great like, call. Because she died very and came much, back. Yes, one hundred percent. And I yeah. did. And she's got spider legs. Spider yes, legs. The whole, never really the whole time. Died. You know. <laughs> no, I did. I did see on Reddit this week uh, an interesting question about Maul changing the subject. Sorry, we'll come back to this. Uh, how does he pee? Because he lost his entire like downstairs. Anyway, so with difficulty, uh, he still yeah. got his kidneys. The urethra is still intact. <laughs> apparently, apparently. <laughs> Um, that's why he's that's angry an- all the time. That's not how anatomy works. But anyway, yeah, still has a uh, has a lot of this character Kudu has a lot of similarities to Maul. I feel like, like, yeah, like she really had that uh, sort of like am I just being used vibe like the whole time. And it took a and it took me a long time. What I was trying to say before my dogs freaked out, it took me a long time <laughs> to figure out if she was the villain or not. Like, like. I mean, there was a time pretty early on in the story where suddenly she's making alliances, and it's like, what the heck? Is she, like, a good guy? Is she a bad guy? Like, the because the Visions episode totally set her up like she was the big bad, yeah. you know what I mean? So For sure. Well, I think in a weird way, like, not only are the characters in this story non-binary, but so is the morality, you know? Right. Like, I don't think any of the characters are... They're all pretty gray. Like we talked about, obviously the traveler more than probably any anyone else last week. But Kudu definitely, throughout it, flirts with that line. Like there is the classic, yeah, "All right, sure. I'm working with you until I kill you." But that does drift away pretty quickly, mm-hmm. I think, especially with her and like Akia, um, and then her and Fox. So I I did like how she went through, and I love getting her point of view. I liked how when she was talking to the witch, just how pissed off she was in her own head. She's like, "This, guy, what do you want?" Get out of my head! Right. I hate this. And I'm like, good. Yeah, it was, was, it really was a big. It was a pretty stark contrast with with the Ronins. Yeah, like, definitely. Right. Dialogue right, with right, the right. witch. Who was like, fine. Right. This might as well happen. <laughs> He's more comfortable with it. Yeah. What it sounds like. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes came from Fox about all of Kudu's 
motivations. And he said, I suspect that at the very least, it will be more satisfying to murder someone because you wanted to rather than because someone told you it was a good idea. Uh, I love <laughs> what that. A, what a flex. Just what a moment. <laughs> like, he flexed yeah, all the way. right. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> so once Kuru kind of did as the witch encouraged her at the end of the book and quote unquote, let go. Right, whatever, however yeah. you take that, whatever exactly that means, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Once she did that, she she more or less like transcended into a different plane of existence, right? And and she was entrusted by the witch to resolve the altercation between the Ronin and the traveler outside of the temple. And I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how she let go why she did what she did. But I think more importantly than that, I'm curious, why do you think that she was the right person out of everyone in this story to do that? Mm. Why was she the one that the witch entrusted to resolve that altercation? Mm. Ooh, I have a short answer, which I think might be helpful. I think it's because she had, she had to be the one that had to make a choice on her own. Like what you're saying, she did everything because she was ever told to. So I think mm-hmm. her final test is making actually her first choice of her own. You know, let go. Let go. You have to decide. This. I, I will not rip you away. I will not force you away. I will just tell you you should do this, but you have to be the one that makes that decision. Right. And I think that once she did, she kind of tapped into the power of the planet, which, again, I think, as we said last week, the end of this book gets a lot less literal and a lot more, like, interpretive. And I think that for her to kind of tap into the power of the planet, all she had to do was make that one choice, which kind of revealed how much raw power she had. So I think it was her final test of evolution to make that decision rather than just being kind of put into it like a puzzle piece. Do you think if she didn't actually let go or actually do that, that she would have ceased to exist? Since you know how... Mm -hmm. Um, when they came, when the witch or Marahi told them, like allowed them to come back to life, um, that they just ceased to exist after they were killed or they mm-hmm. were like let go. Right? Does she cease to exist if she doesn't let go? I like that thought, Wes, because yeah, it's, it kind of that's a very basic idea within Star Wars already, right? It's the Sith who cling to life and who do cease yeah, to right. exist at the end, right. and when the Jedi let go, like. I'm just say Obi Wan for example. Um, yeah, yeah. It, they they come back and and they actually persist um, as as Force Ghosts. So that's a really interesting idea. I that's like that. Great. She's becoming basically. She's just acknowledging that she's going to become a Force Ghost. But uh-huh. but like everything else in this in this universe, Emma has has shifted Star Wars lore like of like the Force, the Sith, the Jedi. Even Force ghosts at the end have their own unique spin, so they're a little more corporeal. They can actually affect things. So maybe if we had been watching the movie version of this, which I you can't film this story, it's it's un it's unfilmable. But if she maybe she would have just done the Obi Wan disappear, and would have oh. then reappeared somewhere else with the blue glow. Maybe that's what happened. <laughs> that's cool. It is. Cool. I like that, Wes. <laughs> I really dig that. Yeah. 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 Thanks. I Points think to Gryffindor, hell yeah. <laughs> so, so the letting go was letting go of her need to to cling to life. Is that is that what you're saying, Wes? Like she was letting go yeah. of of that 
need in and of itself. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. I like that. We need Tom to tell us if we're right, but that's, I like your interpretation. (laughs) And I know that a lot of people in the chat, I know Cheryl in particular is going to want to talk a lot about uh, Kuru's trauma at the hands of the Jedi. And we are going to get to that in some of the overarching questions, but we are going to move on from Kuru. Any last thoughts on her? Impeccable hair. Awesome. Heels. Great hair. Okay. <laughs> just like we talk about envision, like the power of the design of that character is just yes. like, she's going to kill me. And that's cool. Yeah. All well, right. I want to move on to an even more, I don't know, nebulous character, which is the witch. Uh, AKA Mm -hmm. Mirahi. And Mm -hmm. this is, we'll talk about this. This is going to be a little tricky to talk about this character because is it a character? Is it multiple? I don't know, but (laughs) here, here are some quotes for you. Right. Everyone knew the stories, the unholy sorcery of the Sith, the dark Lord and his witch, he who killed and she who resurrected stealing the dead from their right to join the force or the spirits or the sublimity beyond the galactic order, depending on who you asked. No matter what anyone believed, the stolen ghosts were blasphemy of an order beyond reckoning. The witch's demon army had been fearsome as much for the unceasing devotion with with which they pursued the Sith's ends as for the threat they posed to every facet of natural order. He was a lord. She was a witch. (laughs) Can I make it any more obvious? Yes. <laughs> well, that just took a turn. Oh, please, please make that. That will be a Patreon exclusive. <laughs> Avril Levine does Ronin. Uh, oh Cor- my God. Well, I would say no, but as Corey says, everything has a price. Yes, everything <laughs> has a price. So on page three hundred seven, the second quote is this: yeah. "The thing that had fished Kuru out of simple death." that had threaded through her mind and dragged her so far that wanted still to bind her. That had not been the witch. It never had been. Something else dug its fingers through the worlds, wearing the dead as it pleased, and whatever it sought, the witch did not desire. In fact, she feared its fruition. Mm. And so again, the witch, quote-unquote, is essentially two different characters in this book. There is the original witch herself, and then there's her daughter, or the Ronin's daughter, Mirahi. But beyond that, she's also an idea, right? She's the devil on your shoulder. And, yeah, right. and I'm curious, how did y'all feel about the nebulous nature of this character, quote unquote, the witch? And did you find her a compelling antagonist? Mm. It's tough when your antagonist is an idea, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think that mm. by the end... I, re- I really loved the daughter reveal. I really did mm-hmm. like that idea because I think the whole time I was assuming the voice was um, was like a lover or was like someone from his past, which again is yes-ish. Um, but I liked the idea that it was it was not that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It so I really liked that reveal at the end. I'm still not sure, honestly how i i feel about the character as a whole because again i think i've only read this once so i wonder going back again and reading it and every time that that voice comes up knowing that it's kind of his daughter reaching across the cosmos as well how that would affect it and for people that have read this book twice i would love to actually hear from you either in comments or in discord or whatever it may be i want to know what that's like because i bet that's actually a very very interesting experience but uh i thought it was effective but i did think it it was 
It threw me. It threw me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, I but, mean, when I first when I first like thought like read the pages, read the words that were written down, I was thinking Night King so reading, from Game of Thrones, right? Easily, mm-hmm. yes. Night King. Night King, Game of Thrones is what I had in my in my head. Like it was a real person. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now that you wrote you wrote down uh, Devil on Your Shoulder, that sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. I was I was looking more towards Grimm, like the, the voice in his head. He was being. It wasn't necessarily a person. It was something. It was like it was his own head. Like he was schizophrenic, kind of like in um, mm. like in uh, Beautiful Mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking in the beginning, but then. Then it plays out that it's his daughter, um, which I liked a lot better yeah. than mine. Yeah. But it would it would have made an interesting it would have made an interesting like side twist to who he's listening to is actually himself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But essentially, that's not what happened. Um, but I did I appreciate that it was the daughter. It was somebody trying to help and not actually harm him. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah. Let, let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, I will tell you that I personally was was very taken aback by the fact that Ronan even had a daughter, let alone that yeah. the witch the whole time was his daughter. Like, like there was never any indication of that. Did he even know that he had a daughter? Was this just like a, an aspect of his past that he was neglecting because of the trauma of everything? Or like, h- how did y'all approach that fact because it is absolutely out of left field when it's dropped. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it it totally took me like off guard. Like that was yeah. not something I was expecting at all. Like I don't know. I, I just assumed that the voice was the witch, right? I mean the whole book, I think is what you're supposed to think, right? And then it's yeah, not right. and that was like I don't know, man. It raised more questions than it answered. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a great way to say it, is I think it, it absolutely did. What what my interpretation of it at this moment of this night, because I think this also might change, is that I felt like he did know that he had a daughter. I mean, because she seemed old mm. enough when this all happened that, you know, yeah. he would have known. But I assume they think when, when the planet was hidden or taken and the mirror was like, when all that happened in the past, I think he assumed that the daughter was lost. Because she was kind of like in the, pl- of the planet, of the mirror. Like, she right. wasn't your, like, a lot of characters we find out wasn't necessarily necessarily just 100% alive and thriving and abandoned like she had ascended to something different and I think he's Uh he just kind of terms the fact that I can't access that as easily and it's less my daughter maybe than it is a feeling so I think that his own quest he's like maybe if he did hear her voice maybe that's as close as he could get to her Uh you know at least I have my daughter Uh with me she is telling me to kind of go places where I might die but at least I got my daughter with me you know maybe (laughs) that's like his concession that he's making as a father Right. It'd been nice if there was those little hints in the like in the very beginning and maybe a little throughout of him actually having a daughter, yeah. right? Like maybe Instead the voice calls like, him daddy and like that could be yes. either. <laughs> oh, that could still be either one. I, uh, so, I did know. not want that. Uh I can tell you. <laughs> just, uh, I just I did not go want on the, the voice. Yeah, just put it on the record. Like, I don't want any. I don't want any daddy in this. No, thank you. Yes, Corey uh, prefers if he had been called Zaddy. <laughs> Ronan, the Zaddy. Absolutely. Russian accent. Yes. Well, 100%. so the true witch. Then let's just. I I, I got to hear your thoughts on this. The 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 daughter. That's who I'm going to refer to as the true witch. The one. Okay, yeah. The one who was actually kind of speaking to the Ronan and and reanimating the dead. 
what exactly was her motivation? Because, you know, we found out she was accidentally reanimating the dead. She did that with Idzuna for the first time. She Mm -hmm. then was supposedly trying to lead her father, the Ronin, to his death. She kept leading him to Sith, Mm -hmm. seemingly with the the intent of having him killed. He then Mm -hmm. finally arrives. She stabs him in the chest. But then she ends up becoming his pupil, like at the end, like his student. At the end, I'm just... Curious, what was she hoping for? Was she trying to murder him, and and what exactly changed that? Was it his act of love, the embrace? Like, mm-hmm. how did y'all interpret all of that? Yeah, I interpreted it as she had kind of gone beyond the veil, as it were, and she had realized that life and death are are not as distinct monikers as some may think. So I think it seemed like she was saying, "Hey, if you just die." Then essentially, I can just resurrect you, and then, or I can bring you here. Or we we can then be on the same level because yeah. I think she's like, if you're if you're alive, you haven't seen what I've seen. You don't get it. You don't right. get that this is. Because I think what she's saying at the end is basically how ridiculous all these wars are, and how ridiculous all this conflict is, and that the wheel is endless, and it will just keep going and going. So eventually, if everyone dies, or if you know that goes on, I can then just resurrect everyone, and then no one will fight, and it'll be fine. I'm like, I can basically fix the chaos by essentially controlling everyone, which I think is a very classic villain, misunderstood villain slash kind of younger look at things. Um, and mm-hmm. I think when she, when she's looking at, like, you know, all the people she's controlled, she's like, I can just keep this going. And if, if my father's over among them, great. And I think she's kind of got corrupted by that amount of power, which is why at the end he, you know, breaks it down for her and they play that game and they kind of bring it more down to the person by personness. And I think at the end when she decides to travel with him and become his people, I think to me, it showed her willingness to go out in the world and actually reconnect with individual people rather than thinking of them as forces. Hmm. That's kind of the vibe how, I got. How powerful was his daughter? Like she, Real. she was taught by, his, real. his wife, right? Like, um, wife and then Fox as well. Okay, right. So she was like, essentially, she was power wise. She's like, like Palpatine. Am I? I mean, yeah. B- based on how yeah. it's written, like, there's a. I mean, right. resurrecting anyone you want at will, kind of c- controlling the I'm forces to, of a planet. Like, there. That's that's intense yeah, power. Trying to, get, trying to get like a, a hierarchy level to see essentially how strong she actually was which isn't which is incredible um to think that she eventually ends up in the very end of the book you just like oh now we talk about the most powerful being that we have in this (laughs) book and it's the last 15 would she would you say she's a (laughs) full three quarters of a palpatine or like a little bit less than that (laughs) (laughs) it's like a measure it's a measure of force power how many she has his power oh no Oh, we don't need any of that. We don't need any of that. <laughs> so we're we're all still a little bit perplexed by this, which I think was kind yeah, of the point. Sure. We're we're not really yeah, supposed yeah. to be able to walk away from this with answers. Um, but it's mm. still interesting to kind of try to tease that out. I want to move from um from the witch to someone much more concrete. Maybe the most concrete character we had, the most real person we had in this entire novel, who was Akia. And I want to talk mm-hmm. about her because I find her story amongst all of this to be pretty interesting. So a couple quotes for you here. Um, 
she's speaking early in the book. She says, guess I look strong enough to fight and smart enough to know I couldn't fight you. You rounded me up with the first troopers you shipped off world. So it's just me and a bunch of other terrified kids at the front line of some nothing moon facing down the Jedi and the Empire while our Sith commander loses his mind. And I love that quote. She's referring to the fact that, that the Ronin actually took her from Reitsu and made her one of the Sith troopers. So she fought in the Sith military, essentially underneath Ronin. Um, the second quote here says, The ghosts nestled in the lanterns and mirrors and other lovely relics within which those kyber shards were embedded, they needed Reitsu, needed home. If Akia could get it back for them, for the dead and for the living who entrusted them to her, then that made it all that made all the horrid and the hurt and the heartbreak worth it. She'd fight to reclaim Reitsu until it killed her, because Reitsu mattered to someone, even if it didn't always matter to her. And then finally on page two eighty one, Kuru is talking to Akia and says, You said that you want to be more than one thing. The you I've known has always wanted things outside of herself. Perhaps you should identify what you want within yourself as well. And the reason I wanted to make sure we talked about Ikea is in a story as just straight up strange as this, Mm -hmm. as the non-force user who was not controlled by the witch, I think there was a risk for her story to get lost amongst all of this. So did Ikea's story hold its own for you? as the reader did it resonate with you and why do you think it was important to include in this book Akia was I feel in- like she's ahead, I feel like she's the everyday man yeah or woman right so she, that we have to have somebody that can be related relatable um when I was when I was reading about um the part where she was part of the Sith army it took me back to Swotor of seeing like all of the like Sith yeah. acolytes, and then mm-hmm. seeing all of like the Sith, Ugh. like I don't know, pencil pushers, also walking around. <laughs> like shout out to those cutscenes! Like oh my gosh, map, you know, Sith um, pencil yeah. pushers. <laughs> <laughs> so they, the Sith aren't just they, they aren't just like incredible beings that have yeah. you know force energy. There's also people that need to file away mm-hmm. right. papers. Um, but I thought, yeah, I mean. Her story was is in there to be relatable, I think, it's just because um, it it was so, like you said, it's just strange and it's difficult, and um, some of the stuff is, is a little far fetched um, for a first time reader to take this in just on the first read. Mm-hmm. So this may may bring it back uh, down to earth, if you will. It's like, but um, maybe not earth, but whatever. Um, <laughs> what was the name of that planet they were on? Yeah, whatever planet they were on. Depending on which one, Ritsu, <laughs> it took him forever to get there. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it it makes it relatable. Just essentially sum it up in two words. Yeah, I really liked all of Akia's stuff with uh, reflecting on being a Sith trooper about like you know you didn't care about if we died or not. Like I really liked that attitude. I I didn't love as much of the pilot stuff, and this is purely because we just got Sylvester Yarrow who was also another young, like, kind of, like, sarcastic mm-hmm. pilot that's like, I don't care about these Force users. Yeah. And now this is another plucky pilot that's like, I don't care about these Force users. And I'm like, unfortunately, the, yeah. the character archetypes are just a little similar to me. Um, I definitely got it mixed I, up while I was reading it several times. Like, yeah. They um, were written similarly. Yeah, very similar. But, like, 
but the st- but the, so the times when she did break apart with the Sith history, that was actually was very important. And I really like her mm-hmm. and Cheese relationship was very kind of cool, especially once the betrayal happened. I was like, oh, like that's a, a fun mm-hmm. spin on it. And by the end, how how dedicated Akia was to her mission of getting those crystals to a resting place, I thought was kind of inspired because for someone that was like kind of so checked out with the Force beings and had so much kind of hatred for the Sith. To at the end be like, yeah, but this is still my mission. I still need to right. honor these ghosts. I'm like, that's a kind of a beautiful lesson of even if you don't agree with it, even if you don't believe in it, you can still honor the tradition of something and honor the memories of those hmm. that did. And I thought that was a yeah. really cool way to end her character. Like spreading the ashes of a loved one that said that they wanted to be here for eternity yeah. kind of thing. It's what it yeah. reminded me of. Even if it's the last place you'd ever want to go back to. I thought that showed a lot of selflessness. Yeah, I mean, she definitely felt like kind of a Han Solo kind of character with, like, having to choose, like, what's right. (laughs) It's kind of how I I looked at it, of, like, like, kind of the one character who doesn't have any skin in the game, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're not, like, a Force user, but also, like, are a hugely important, (laughs) like, role. I don't know. It was, was, they were a super important side character, I felt like, that... Yeah, was sort of glossed over. I think that's kind of how you were supposed to look at it. Hmm. Yeah, it was interesting that she was so intimately tied to the planet of Raid 2, right? She's from there, but then Mm -hmm. really didn't feel any sort of connection to it. She almost just sort of had this duty as a citizen of Raid 2 to return all the garbage shards there. Citizen. citizen. <laughs> but but I did actually really enjoy her story. I thought it was interesting that it culminated in her actually handing off this mission that had been so important to her to hand that off yeah, to Kuru. Yeah. And I felt like some people could at least have read into that as not walking back her, her arc, but I don't know, just kind of, it, it, it seemed a little bit, strange to me that her whole mission her whole reason for existing she then handed off right at the end and i feel like we never kind of heard from her again like she just kind of disappeared but anyways let's talk about someone who did not disappear who will never disappear from the forefront of our minds that's hat droid guys that's right right. (laughs) i just i gotta give a quick second to him i gotta shout out the little guy the mvp of this story in many ways and we're not going to spend a lot of time on him yes b556 we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on them. I'm just curious. Why did fandom embrace hat droids so much? Like, what what is it about this guy? He's wearing a hat. It's a, literally a droid. A it's just a hat. The hat. I mean, it's just the There's hat. There's nothing That's else. That's I want to see hat I mean, droid in various Geode different is a hats. rock. Like, you know? I want to see <laughs> oh my him God, yes. in, like, uh, what are the, like, French, like, little flat hats that, like, people wear? Thank you. Yes. I want to see beret droid. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a whole line. I want to see Snowcat Droid for sure. Oh okay, like yeah. there's a lot. Of... I think it's literally just that he wore a hat because, like, you know what? He was, you know, he's he's every he's R two. He's Chopper. Yeah, he's the mm-hmm. the the mouthy Droid with the harumphy guy, and he's gonna make his jokes. Except he has a crap ton of missiles. That's the difference between Hat. Like Hat Droid <laughs> is a baller. Hat yeah. Droid will knife you. What were um, those? Uh, what were what were Afra's two droids in the comics that were just like C three PO and R two D two but zero. death? Oh, um, <laughs> triple zero. And, yeah, triple zero. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, BD. I can't remember. I don't remember. No. BD. No. BD one is Fallen Order. 
I can't remember. Oh my god, yeah, I can't. We're yeah. horrible Star Wars people. We're the comic show. I don't remember. I know. Um, <laughs> why? Why do you? But yeah, ask? that's yeah. He was uh, a murder story, but he wore a hat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is. This is like that's the same trope. It's like R two D two, except with oh, like, a crap ton of weapons that yeah. are yeah, just true. like little zappy zappy. I mean, I I like I like the hat droid a lot. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, a it's a it's a tried and true trope that works very well for Star yep. Wars. I feel like. Every right. every everybody's got a droid. Like every yeah. mm-hmm. every key story, I feel like has got has got the droid, right? Exactly. Afra's Afra's second droid is BT one. So BT one. Okay. I yep. was a letter BT. off. BD one is pretty close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I uh, dang it. I mean, there was. I want to see BD. He was. Droid. I mean, had droid oh, was, yeah, was incredibly loyal too, right? There was yeah. One part in the where he like. Was basically following them to where his parts. He was about to die. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. To, yeah, mm. his parts were falling, and he was the um, power was just going to the utmost lowest point that he could get to, and then finally he gets yeah. a. It's, he gets he, he that, is loyal. That hits me, man. Yeah, yeah. he is Whenever loyal. He's droids, like, like little... start to run low on power. It's hard. Yeah, or like K two, dude. At the end, I was of gonna Rogue say K 2s K 2s death I, in Rogue One is by far the most meaningful of any character in that entire film dude, for me. I don't I know what it was to witness that again it's on sacrifice. the big screen. It, I know, it, it man. Hurt, it hits harder. Yeah, it yeah. hits harder. Droids, that, yeah. Droids that, are just listen. The, he was the he was the first one too. He got killed off, I believe, wasn't he? Yes, I think I think Probably. or was the no no or was the pilot the first one to get killed off. I can't remember. Bodhi? No, no, it's, it's K2. It wasn't Bodhi? Okay, yeah. No. Uh, when they killed off K2 in that film, you suddenly know that nobody is safe. Because <laughs> yeah. he's the fun droid. <laughs> yes, and he was such a great character. Man, Yeah, absolutely love he K2. Was. He has some of the best lines. I quote him on, on the regular. As you should. It was high, very high. Very high. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so Hatroid, it, he, he belongs in the hall of, <clears throat> of, of great droid companions. But the design, that immediate, uh, when you're watching the duel for the first time, and, and the Ronin comes over, and then the droid with a giant hat comes around, you're, I mean, <laughs> you, like you feel you gotta he's know. rolling down. I know. And they never when explain it. Down, they never like explain why. Hallway, yeah. <laughs> that he's brushing up against people because his hat's so, so big. <laughs> <laughs> and they never explain why he has a hat. You know why? Because he has a hat. Yeah. Why does he have a hat? <laughs> yeah. So oh, it's great design. I find, I find that answer vague and unconvincing, but it's it is it's like droids are loyal. They're like little dogs, like little dog mm-hmm. companions. And who has not? Who has a dog out there? Who has not put their hat on their dog before and just been like, "Oh my god, that's so cute!" They just did that. And watch their dumb face that they make when they like panic because there's a hat on their head. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Wow. <laughs> That, yeah, uh, I have. You're right. You're 100 right. I've done. They all do that. Nobody, no, no dog just wears the hat happily. They all freak out. It's fantastic. Yeah, oh, thanks for this thing that's blocking my ears, which I use to sense everything. If like, that, <laughs> if that's how they actually came up with the story, Sunglass Droid is on the way soon. That's all. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sunglass Droid. Um, all right, let's move awesome. on from Hat Droid. Let's talk about some overarching questions here, y'all. Let's do it. Let's run through these. Um, with with so much talk about what is and isn't canon in Star Wars, how did it feel to get a story that was just openly presented as alternate history? We don't care about that. Here's a story. Enjoy it. All right, I, I want, I've been wanting to talk about this one for a while. Do it. I wish I wish Tom was here to discuss it with us a little bit. But I mean, 
publishing, they have to be a little low key about, about some of this kind of thing. So I, I kind of get it. All right. But we had a huge internal discussion about this at Utini because like the list of content that is neither canon nor legends is kind of starting to stack up, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we have these. There's three we have, titles. We have three. Well, there's four technically, I guess, right? There's this one and all three Myths oh, yeah, and Fables four. books, yep. right? Myths and Fables, um, The Life Day Treasury, and Dark Legends. Yes, which, right. So we have four more books canon now, than and even I think this, but I think I think there is a couple other things that technically kind of fall yeah. in this category. They live in the Trevor. middle. Yeah, lives lives in the middle. It's not canon or legends. Uh, it does kind of have a timeline, like a vague timeline of X happened before, you know, Y, mm-hmm. right? But like, where do you place it on the timeline, right? So we had a big discussion internally about what do we want to do with this information, and I, I think we're gonna have to find its own its own timeline somewhere eventually. Yeah, because I am okay with this. Like, we we also yeah. had a big a big talk about what do we call this section and. Myths and Fables is actually a pretty good yep. title for it, not just because of the Myths and Fables books, but these books all kind of are myths yeah. and fables, right? Which is interesting, yeah, because, like, yeah. I mean, I so I organize my bookshelf by canon order. I also now do it by height because of Caroline's YouTube video that is on our channel, how she organized her bookshelf. Same. Revolutionized <laughs> it. So this book, though, I put it in the canon list, but the answer is to where I put it where I have a space and it looks cool next to other covers because like it doesn't need to be there. And I, I agree, Corey. I think it's interesting that we're expanding this topic. How I felt reading it, I, it was it, I felt like I was kind of cheating. I felt like I was reading a non Star Wars book, but I got the benefits of Star Wars of like, oh, the Jedi. That's, I know that word. Like, there's just a little bit. I didn't have to learn a whole new universe. Yeah. I got the excitement of, of learning something new that you get with non-Star Wars books, mm-hmm. but I got the cheat code of, of having a little bit of Star Wars beneath me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I like how it's... I liked how it was so... It was incredibly different than something that I've read before. Like, there's not this huge backstory that you have to know beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yes. You almost have to know what Kyber Crystal is and... What the force is, yeah. and then you can interpret it um, differently, and how uh, Emma uh, makes it differently from uh, from the light side and the dark side. Mm-hmm. But um, having it outside of regular Star Wars writing and novelizations is was amazing. I loved it. I loved how it was so different, and it can and that differentiality that they have between this book here and the books that have been uh, put out after. Um, like the um the motion pictures and after some of the tv shows mm-hmm. it it grabs an extra audience that we may not have had beforehand you may have brought you know 10 20 people into star wars that wouldn't normally have read a star wars book mm-hmm. and you have that extra market now they're well, not we'll say market but another audience yeah, yeah i mean like tom sure. said it would be interesting to see to have this be someone's first star wars book i again i still want to hear about it but i i do like the fact that they tried it and I think it's more so for the creativity of the writer, more almost yeah. more so than anything mm-hmm. else. Like Emma was allowed to expand whatever they wanted to do with the story without having the constraints versus more intentionality. But I got to say, this did, I think I said this last week, this did make me want to say, okay, what if Emma has a book now within the constraints of Star Wars? Because I, I think... I, again, having having never written a Star Wars novel or a regular novel, uh, I, I think it's always very interesting to know if that is harder or if it is easier. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But as we're talking about that, folks, John Cena! Looks like John Cena is showing up from the balcony! We have a surprise guest! Fresh off the, uh, I'm sure, much more illuminating conversation with Timothy Zahn, it's Tom back for another round. Uh, what's up, man? So this time we're talking about iJedi, right? Yes. That, you <laughs> finally made it back. Yes. We're going all the way oh back around. We're, we're gonna have to have a we're gonna have to have a legitimate conversation about iJedi one of these with Tom for sure. Oh, It'll have yeah. to happen. <laughs> oh, Listen, there's but, a you know we joke about that, but there's a huge part of the fan community that has a uh, a very sentimental relationship with that book. So I get is. it. I get it. Tom, you, you do. I mean, you mentioned it last week. Yeah. Yeah, it's my first book. Yeah, it's my yeah. first book. I'm oh, sorry, I can't. I can't resist that joke, after, especially knowing it's the best how, one. How infamous that book is, is. among the folk. Uh, I just can't resist among it. this guy. Well, welcome back. Uh, before we, we'll take a, a three second break from Ronan. How was how was your event? Because you, you again, you just finished up that event we talked about last week with Tim Zahn. How'd it go? It was good. It was great. Tons of folks, you know, got to spend a good hour talking about the book, got to lay the groundwork and tease some fun things that are coming in Lesser Evil in less than three hours from now. And nice. uh, yeah, yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. It's going to happen. Uh, I guess I've never asked you this, Tom, as a reader, because you said it's coming for like three hours, which is when it'll drop for digital readers and drop for audiobook, because print versions, I mean, who knows? What is your preferred reading medium? Are you uh, I know you, obviously you do a lot of digital because of your job, but if you were had your druthers, um, I don't really have a preference. Uh, my first read is I rarely is my first read audio, just because I kind of prefer to have text in front of me. Sure. Um, in the days when I had a car and was driving around more, I did a little bit more audio first because again, you just kind of have that. Opportunity where it's not yeah. a choice, mm-hmm. um, sure. but between print and, and and digital, I don't really have a preference because I spent so much time when I was like going to grad school and was moving around a lot that I couldn't have a lot of physical books. I could just you know I could have a Kindle that takes up you know two inches of space in a backpack <laughs> right, um, and could right. travel around with it. So I really am kind of indifferent. I obviously love having a bookshelf with books, but I kind of don't. I see yeah. them as completely interchangeable. Totally. Yeah. I I had this moment where I, I'm being a physical book reader i remember when i was when i was substitute teaching a lot i'd always have a book with me and i would carry the paperbacks in, in the bat in the same kind of backpack but the problem is it would just get like kind of uh, distressed now and then and then i was like man if only someone could like create something that you could you could carry around in a uh in, in, a, in a in a case for a paperback and then i was like wait i just, I just designed a hardcover book it's like <laughs> oh i did um so <laughs> But anyway, welcome back for for another round of of this gloriousness. We were just talking about we were just got an overarching question, so you just hit it perfectly. <laughs> it was good timing. Yeah, you, you did miss the Hatroid talk, though. I will say that I know he was one yeah. of your favorites. That's all right. That's all right. It makes we up made for, up for last week. Yeah, it makes up for him not being in the recap. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So so let's move on to the next question. Um, there's a healthy portion of this novel that presents itself as something that may have happened. In fact, everything on Ray to <laughs> bore many similarities, I think, to the Mortis trilogy in the Clone Wars TV show. And in your opinion, did everything that was presented to us actually happen? Like, were there any specific events that you feel strongly may not have happened or characters that you think may maybe were not real? I, I think... There's a lot of debate that we could have about this topic. Mm. 
Well, none of it's real, Charles. None of it's real. It's all made <laughs> up. It was go real home. to me. <laughs> Don't was say a, that. Don't say that. Black Widow reference for all Absolutely. you plebeians out there. Here yeah. It's on Disney Plus. Go watch it. Go watch it. It's free now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know the answer to this. I, I don't. Yeah, it's I, a tough I, one. I could. <laughs> I could not really figure this out. Like it felt like the mirror in uh, Last Jedi for me. Like of, mm-hmm. you know, what what is real? Which which one of Ray is real? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like I had a pretty good idea about it till we got to Ray and Sue, and then like, I mean, visions as we talked about last week, and as the entire initiative is titled after, uh, are such a part of Star Wars. Are from mm-hmm. Empire. I mean, that's. I learned about magical realism from Empire Strikes Back. Like, we all get to kind of experience that. So I think everything with, like, you know, getting the crystals are, are very tangible and having the fighting the bandits, that's very tangible, and getting on the ships, that's very tangible, you know. And I think once you get to Raidsu, they're kind of all in Mirahi's hands. And I think that sh- it felt almost kind of like what she allows to happen is real. And then if she wants to kind of interject and put a vision in here or teleport you to another place she could is kind of how I that's how I interpreted it as we got further in and then once the the you know the climax well climax the the ending kind of happened and then the epilogue-ish portion we got back to then we're back into like 100% tangible reality because I think she's lost slash relinquished a bit of that power in order to more experience the the world as it is or not a more concrete <laughs> example um in a specific event that i felt i don't strongly feel didn't happen i just may have missed it mm-hmm. um was when he was when grim was fighting the um what was the uh the jedi's name the um Unrai. Unrai, yes um and they were and they had their fight and they had their duel and then uh grim winds up in like in prison mm-hmm. and like i didn't catch the transition between that duel and then he's in prison well there isn't one it, it mm-hmm. it's just that i think it does yeah. jump yeah 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 it Excellent. just jumps um <laughs> that he has this sort of mental break and is like kind of a fugue state and they're just like all right and they take him and so we we sort of jump um from being in the cave to obviously then being around koru and ikea and and they're their crazy adventure, and then, yep, okay, he's in prison. Yeah. Okay. No, perfect, you didn't miss anything. I thought I had missed something, and mm-hmm. I, I went back. Yeah, I went back a couple times. I was like, oh, it's in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. I gotta <laughs> find it. Yeah. Where is it? <laughs> well, I guess that, I, I, I want to pose that to you as well, Tom, for, for the process of working with Emma on this. Because obviously, you, you talked last week about how you, like, she kind of had essentially the ultimate freedom of like you're writing your story you want to write the characters you want to write and you take the story where it's going to go and then we will you know edit it differently and work with the pros and things but as far as bonds of breaking reality was that a conversation that you had at the beginning of the process or at any point did she be like you know what what if so (laughs) you know the way we talked about it is because there are definitely moments where it's like well there, there are definitely moments that the book tells you what happened, but doesn't explain how it happened. It doesn't sort of give you the mechanical underpinnings yes. of like, well, this is why this works and this is why that happens. And for most right. of those things, we kind of had a side, we would have side conversations just like, it's not going to be on the page, but let's at least wrap our heads around like, 
this kind of mechanically or from a macro world building perspective is like why this happens or why this worked or why this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. If not because we're not necessarily putting the explanation on the page, but because our understanding of it as writer and editor might inform something larger about the book. But what we came to for a lot of things was, and you can you can you can see this in the book is not everything is explained in terms of, well, exactly why did this thing happen when they did this or why did this thing happen? But what you'll notice is if the characters acknowledge either that they don't know or that the explanation does not matter, it doesn't mean that no explanation exists. It's that the the mechanics of the explanation is not what is the most important thing there. So there is, by intention some ambiguity in how things happened. So for instance, mm-hmm. the mirror gets broken at the very end and suddenly we're in a tea house and everyone is back from being this frozen planet and there's stuff going on. And it's clear that the, the characters are all sort of like, we don't totally know what happened. We just know that it did happen. And because the characters acknowledge that and because the characters have their own understanding of it, that's enough then for the story to continue forward. If neither the characters acknowledge it, yeah. nor the story in a macro sense of like an omniscient narrator being like, and with the mirror broken, the like bonds of gravity were reestablished. <laughs> like you don't have either of those things. <laughs> then it doesn't work from a storytelling yeah. perspective. Because in this case though, the story buys into the fact that things happen in the galaxy that even the people who inhabit the galaxy like literally can't explain. Chia is like, shrug, I don't know. Mm. You know, Grimm's just like, uh, whatever. Yeah. Aki yeah, is just right. like, ghosts, question mark? And so nobody actually knows. They're just yeah. like, this is the way the galaxy works. Weird things happen, and we don't really know yeah. from left or right why. And so that's sort of how we approached it, is we're like, if we're going to be oblique yeah. at any oh. point, well, let's build, build that into the story. Um, if we're going to be oblique about the reasoning yeah. behind something or why does this work or why does it happen, let's have the characters act scared or surprised or be working with that same lack of knowledge that the reader has. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in all fairness, that is, that is also how I feel about this show <laughs> most weeks. Uh, it's like, I don't know, something happened. And then I was oh, in a tea house yeah. at the yeah. end of it. So, but that is... <laughs> but, so, that, that's a... Uh, I like. I, 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 yeah, go ahead, Charles. <laughs> I, I just want to say I like. Um, I like how you explain that, Tom, because I brought up that this felt the end of this book felt similar to me to the Mortis trilogy. And if you haven't watched the Clone Wars, you don't. You're not familiar with the Mortis trilogy. When this came out, there was really like it was a hot topic. Like there were vehement debates about like was this real? Did this happen? Did it not happen? And at the end of the day, the answer <laughs> is so cool. we don't know, but it's yeah. darn cool. And the experiences were real for the characters. So it's really exactly the same as what you're saying, Tom. Does it matter to answer the question of yes or no, this happened? Probably not. Does it matter Hmm. to the characters? Yes. And that's why it matters to us as the readers and as the audience. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that's, I think, the linchpin. Like you, you have to buy into the fact that this matters for the characters. And if you do that, Mm -hmm. then the rest of it is whatever. It's just a cool story. So I love that. Dig it. And on that note, I want to talk about how strange the story was, even by Star Wars standards, right? Like, this was just odd, guys. Like, I, I think when you've been reading the <laughs> book for a month and you get to the end, you've kind of normalized it to some degree. But, like, if you take a step back, this book is weird, okay? From <laughs> Kyber Mirrors 
to Sith witches to the resurrection of the dead. Were you ever taken aback by any of it? Or did you find yourself just embracing it, accepting it, and moving forward with the story? Watching the duel... Uh, I'll say this. Seeing the concept art for the duel, because I, I, because of the nature of it, I did read this before I watched the duel. Um, but seeing the images of the duel honestly really helped that, because... As glib as we were about it earlier, I saw a droid wearing a straw hat. And even, as silly as it can be, that kind of set me up to, like, this is a world where that just happens. It's like, okay, that's just going to be a thing. And then there's an umbrella mm. lightsaber. All right, that's just a thing. So the amount of stuff that got sprinkled in in the beginning of the book that just happened kind of set the rules for, all right, I'm not really going to be thrown until Ra- Raid 2 is where I started to get, like, okay, not that this is so weird, but more it's more of what we talked about last question. It's like, I'm not sure what's real. I'm not sure necessarily about the experience. But it, it was never to the point where, like, oh, really, that's happening? Oh, and because mm-hmm. we're starting the book by boiling tea while a Doug flies a ship as a lightsaber umbrella spins around. And then they, they lightsaber fight on a log on a waterfall. And then someone's <laughs> immediately raised from the dead. That's 20 pages. <laughs> So I feel like if if right. I think if Emma had you know maybe expanded that out beyond the first twenty, maybe it would have been a little more. But it is definitely like get in losers. We're going shopping. Like this is the you are on board or you're or you're switching books pretty yeah, early yeah, on. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I I think that that's what's cool about the Star Wars universe is you can have lots of different things that that happen and some things push the boundaries but that's why we have you know huge teams of folks that are very familiar with the projects that are working on it together like tom Mm -hmm. right i mean like you guys your job is yeah to edit edit it but also to be like eh, you know maybe there shouldn't be a childbirth scene in this you know what i mean like (laughs) like, (laughs) maybe we all edit this stuff yeah right exactly i mean and, and like to push the norms of of what is acceptable in 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 Star Wars, uh, while also being close to Star Wars, is absolutely a collaborative effort, right? So, but did, did this book specifically push all that? I mean, a little bit, but I feel like in a good way, and I, I like that it it like established itself with the TV show as being a um, sort of beyond the norm type of show for sure. Yeah, I I think a good quote to pull that answers this or or how to approach it rather is from page 274 stop trying to make sense of it it's the force it's kind of how it's kind of how we have to approach (laughs) a lot of this right but (laughs) yeah sure you know emma took things that we always felt like we understood and presented them in new ways right like there's a lot of strange in this book but there's also a lot that's familiar you know, such as mm-hmm. the Force and the Jedi, like those aspects were still here as touch points throughout this. And even though they're familiar, she presented them in unique ways. And the most notable example is how she referred to the light side and the dark side of the Force as the white flare and the black current. And favorite. Tom, I, favorite. I, I want to kind of go to you first to hear about the conversation that may have gone into that depicting the force something that's such a staple in star wars stories in such a unique way what kind of conversation went into that and then the rest of you i'm curious 
How did you enjoy looking at something we are so, so familiar with that's been there since A New Hope through this new lens? Yeah, the, so the, the way it worked was it was it was part and parcel of the larger conversation we had about how to develop this world as it relates to both Star Wars and Japanese storytelling and Japanese traditions because we are melding the two and we're putting one through the lens of the other through the lens back through the lens of the other. And so when we talked about it, yeah. And it was clear that obviously, and I think she might have mentioned this in this in, in the interview she did with you guys, which is it's obviously a play a bit on the the concept of yin and the yang, and it's uh, kind of tapping into some of those Japanese storytelling traditions and Japanese traditions overall. That it just made sense for this particular world to have this concept of the force, this concept of duality in the force, and sort of multiple sides to it, mm-hmm. but not this necessarily this sense that like one is inherently evil and one is inherently good and to then just kind of condense them down to this idea of white current and, you know, uh, you know, uh, white flare, excuse me, and black current, Mm -hmm. uh, just made such immediate sense in breathing life, a bit of life into the story that was both initially like, sorry, immediately so familiar. It's Star Wars. It's the force. Like you hear those sentences. And even though it's different, you're like, I get this. I understand. Oh, they're using the force. They're using this thing. Yeah. But is also, it's entirely its own thing that kind of has its own subset of rules and its own sensibility. And that was part and parcel of, yeah. we want this world to feel like Star Wars. And at no point should be like, eh, it's not really mm. Star Wars. But we don't want the world, the goal is not the world should not feel exactly like the Star Wars you know. And the, her, her concept of how yeah. to describe the Force was like the perfect encapsulation of that, that goal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and I think that was, that was the coolest part of it for me. That was when I knew I was in on this book, honestly, was, was that moment of the black, the black current and the white flare. I was like, oh, there is duality in the Force, and it's not just light side, dark side. It's it's beyond mm-hmm. that. It's more than that. Because you're so right, Tom. It did feel Star Wars, and yet it felt like an expansion that I, I had never thought to ask about. Because I'm like, oh, no, the, we light side, dark side. Dark side gives you lightning, and the light side gives you healing at a certain level. Like, I, I get what the Force <laughs> does. But when you reach see, level 25, you can use Sith lightning. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. So, like, I know, I know how this goes. But seeing it used as such an active participant in the storytelling was it like cool? Like whoever I'm seeing, they could probably harness either side depending on what they want to do. So yeah. whenever the force came into play, like like that that moment where uh, where Kuru gets thrown, and you're like, you don't know who did it, and then it turns out that it was Fox, and it's like, oh, what what can you do? Because like, yeah. the force is just around was such a cool way to use it because you know. To, to do the cliche, it's not just lifting rocks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But sometimes you can lift rocks, and sometimes it lets you see into the universe, and sometimes the universe looks back through a kyber mirror and then twists up your current. And like, it was yeah. it was such an active character in the story. Whereas, you know, some really fun books are like then Obi Wan force pushed, and then like that's cool too. But I was really excited to see this, and I I earnestly wonder. Obviously, Tom, you'll see this before any of us. If authors in the future will now maybe consciously write the force a little more actively because they've now we've seen what you can do when you do that. I'm very interested in in that more than maybe anything for the future of Star Wars. I think that might change some stuff. Yeah, that was one of the main things that I took away was you don't you're not just selected for using 
the light side or the dark side, the black current or the white flare. Mm-hmm. You can use both. And when I was reading it, I was like, wait a second. Am I reading this correctly? Are they are you, can you use mm-hmm. both and they're using both one more than the other? And then I was just and so that was and even going back to your your previous question, Charles, like that's one of the things that I found incredibly interesting and different that I liked about this book um, was that pretty much this can build off like the authors now can build off of whether a Jedi or Sith can use those various powers and not just one or the other. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it could be. I mean, this could be a launching point, right? That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> All these years later, we get a whole brand new thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just rad. And, you know, moving from one familiar concept in the Force to another, the Jedi. Okay, we we have never been strangers to criticizing the Jedi on this podcast. We've spent entire episodes going in on them. And, uh, hey, let's do it again. Let's do it some more. Because in this book, there was, even though the Jedi were slightly different than what we're familiar with, there was still a lot of room for improvement, okay? A lot of room to criticize. We got some notes. Yeah, it, it wasn't yeah. a one-to-one <laughs> translation, right? But they still exhibited a lot of the same flaws. And here are a few quotes and their practices that get called into question. And, and then I'll let, let y'all basically just go off on the Jedi for a little while. Just vent a little bit. Um, <laughs> she says early in the book, Now don't take me for a purist. I'm not sure I'd call any of you lot Jedi these days, least of all the clan bloodlines. Tell me, did they teach you what you were, or was it just blood and blades from the day they named you one of their own? So that speaks a lot towards how they bring in younglings and basically breed them for violence and war, you know, casual. (laughs) Um, Whatever works. Yeah, you know. Um, There's an interesting bit that I know Cheryl sent a couple messages in that she wanted us to, to hit these quotes, so thanks for that, Cheryl. Um, and it has to do with Kuru and her uh, experience with the Jedi. So it says, Kuru understand her distaste for the black current came in some part from its resistance to her control. She also understood that every time she saw it slide through a being's mind and reroute their intent, her teeth chilled as if against ice. The thought of such control turned on her. It sickened. She'd rather be a truly dead thing. No, she'd rather kill what dared touch her that way. And so that kind of brings into mind that some of these force powers that we think of as light side that maybe have some dark intent. That's the Jedi mind trick, right? That's literally has the word Jedi in it. And yet Kuru is kind of implying that maybe that's kind of a, a darker use of the force. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to hear some of y'all's thoughts on, on these things and how the Jedi were presented in this novel. Ooh. I, I personally uh, liked it. I was a big fan of it, I want to say, like, initially, yeah. um, of how the Jedi were presented. Because, like, they were sort of the best and the worst versions of the Jedi. Yeah. Which, like, mm-hmm. they were weirdly, if this is even possible, more pretentious than they usually are. <laughs> which was, yep. uh, which is good. I and mean, we have our, you um, know, our High Republic Jedi who are very noble and pretentious. But these Jedi were, like, just the existence of the way there are... Like, this Lord Knight structure was really clever. I loved that they didn't get their lightsabers until they become knights. Like, it was cool stuff. I was a big fan of just the design of the Jedi. And this is, again, what we're talking about, of things that vary a little bit from the norm um, that work really well. Yeah. It, it was interesting to see them as a more organized structure because I feel like, the high, like you said, the High Republic were getting the 
the good part of the Jedi. We're we're seeing them as they are. We are we are getting to see them in in the this is the all star Jedi. I love them, but most of the time we've also seen the Jedi as like falling or the Jedi when they're when they're having rough times. So this was interesting to see them. This is the structure. It's kind of a caste system. There's an order to it, and of course they're a little cocky because it works. They're kind of rulers, and it was funny to see them at the top, kind of not so much. Uh, separated from the politics, but rather enmeshed in it. And mm-hmm. Hadrai was one of my favorite characters. I really loved just not necessarily everything he did, but I, I really loved the way he spoke about the Jedi, the way he spoke about the Force, the way he tried to talk about, you know, he, he believed in what he was doing. And I was like, it's kind of interesting to read a character that is that committed to what they are. And uh, we don't always get that with Jedi. And I thought that was really cool. And Ultimately, I loved how the the shade that was thrown at them as well. Of like, you know, you you got a little too big for your britches, so we had to take you down a peg. Was <laughs> was kind of fun, and and to see the Sith <clears throat> spin out of them in this way, rather than just purely wanting power, it was actually we see the corruption, and we're gonna try to get away from that, which led to some of the darkness. Uh, that was a really interesting take on it, and actually was probably a better lesson uh, than the traditional Sith. Yeah. Like that. So, Tom, any any thoughts on how the Jedi were presented, and specifically with with Emma's background, trying to create this as even more of like this hierarchical caste system, almost like like Eric's talking about, more in line with some of the traditional uh, Japanese culture. That... I oh, you muted. muted, Tom. Sorry. Ah, oh, just see. <laughs> See, you mute to be yeah, you, be, you mute to be good, and then you <laughs> then you forget to take off. Anyway, <laughs> it happens the best. So I think where Emma started, and the way she's she's talked about it was because we started with the idea of we knew what a Sith was in this world, because that's obviously what the duel gives us is a Sith character. Mm-hmm. That in thinking about well, as a Sith, he's an outlaw and he's an outcast, and he is separate from the like established systems of the world. Well, if he is the enemy of the Jedi, then by then by like transitive property, essentially, the Jedi must be inherently part of those systems. And so from there, that's then where she started to take steps to really outline and sort of define what do the Jedi look like in this space and to bring bring the concept of what Jedi look like closer to what samurai clans look like and how samurai depicted in Jujeki films, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And this concept and this idea that like the Jedi clans have lineage, but the Jedi clans now serve lords, and the lords are not necessarily Jedi. Though the character that we meet in this book is a Jedi and a lord, which is rather interesting, um, and something that there's a lot of probably additional storytelling you could do around the concept of how many Jedi lords actually are there. I'm not saying that because I know the answer. I actually don't know the answer, but it's definitely something we talked about, the idea that Hanrai being both a lord and a Jedi is probably an interesting thing and informs some of that character um, in some way. So it was, again, it was about wow. you starting with a familiar thing. You're starting with like, well, Jedi as we know them. You're layering it on, you're laying on features based on the kind of story we're trying to tell and the scope and the lens through which we're trying to tell it. And then you're making the small little tweaks that 
don't necessarily bring it back in line to what people know, but play on the fact that we know people know so many things about Jedi and have so many expectations around Jedi, that then you can play around with that stuff. Which is why when you open this book and you look at the flap and you read the very first line of the flap copy, it's the Jedi are the most loyal servants of the Empire. And that line is entirely intentional because that's everything you know about Star Wars <laughs> yeah, right. put in a blender, right? I know. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. And so that, it, that's just another thing you get to do when you're playing around with it in this way. Yeah. Yeah. I love And it's funny, Tom, as you're, as you're talking about that, it literally made me think of, again, our next newest release, Thrawn Ascendancy Lesser Evil, coming out tomorrow. We seem to have a lot of books that are about – so here's the political people <laughs> – Here's the military people. Sometimes they don't get along. Sometimes they mesh. Like it's just it's interesting thematically to just as you said that I'm like that sounds a lot like the Chiss ascendancy now and then of the who's the most loyal people to the ascendancy who's loyal to the empire are they all Jedi are they all Chiss can, like yeah that's you can very tell that fun. the same person wrote the book copy for both of these probably around the exact same time. <laughs> There's a vibe, Tom. <laughs> there was a, I'm pretty sure I, at one point, might have had both copy documents up at the same time. Like, oh, my God, i got to finish this. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on from the, the overarching questions. Y'all. We're going to run through some Easter eggs and connected tissue and random thoughts that I had. And, and I am interested to hear what everyone has to say. Tom, uh, just so our listeners are, are fully in the loop, we spoke as part of a group thing on Discord early on, and you had mentioned that there were a couple things that jumped out to you when you were reading it, I think, the first time, and you said to Emma, like, hey, did, was this intentional? And uh, and she said one of them was. I think one of them was not at all. And you had you had said you're curious to see what would catch our yes. eyes as we were reading this. So I, I'm interested to see if we caught the things you were mentioning, if maybe we didn't, or if there's anything that that I found that, that maybe hadn't occurred to anyone. With this novel being an alternate history, there were less Easter eggs, I think. So a lot of the things that I found are stretches. So just bear with me, guys. It's going to be great. Okay. Be awesome. I'm, I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So here's a quote from early in the book. The tip of the Ronin's lightsaber punctured the hilt of the bandits. He didn't need to think of where best to break it. The black current of the force guided him to its shatter point with the ease of familiarity. Oh, Shatterpoint, you say? Confirm that Mace Windu is alive. Thank you, Emma, for that. Shatterpoint's in the force. We know are an established concept uh, within Legends, at least. And it it may or may not have been intentional to discuss Shatterpoints of a lightsaber. Um, Another quote that we have. He prayed the villagers understood that they realized it was in their best interest to keep the thing. Kyber thrived when nurtured. It desired people and wanted to give of itself. Properly homed, it could promise the village generations of health and vigor. And we've certainly heard of Kyber reacting to the force user who wields it, right? But this implies that Kyber even forms a relationship with non-force users, which is sort of a unique take that I don't know that we've really fully seen before. The fact that a Kyber shard could bring... uh, health and vigor to an entire community just for holding on to it. So I thought that was interesting. 
Dom, just jump in with you have a comment on Yeah, you can talk over me. Yeah. Easter eggs too, man. So far, <laughs> so far, so good. So far, so far, you know, you know. I'd just say, like, obviously, nobody uses the word Shatterpoint in a Star Wars book. <laughs> I hope. I hope. Yeah, we, we assume that there for sure. Oh, you mean that that, co- that common colloquial that, term, Shatterpoint? Yeah, that that book. <laughs> exactly. Nobody has ever used that word <laughs> in a Star Wars book who was not acutely aware I use that that in word has, has has I don't know what you know, you're talking about. Uh, I was say, I, yeah, I, I just I just said Vapod the other day. I don't know. It was a Star Wars thing? Yeah. <laughs> Here you can see on this x-ray the shatter point of your tibial fracture is approximately... Uh, <laughs> Charles, I will exactly. give you a dollar yeah. if you prove to me that you do that in clinic. <laughs> All right. Well, here here's another one for you. Uh, here's the quote. Unlike their dress, this is referring to the traveler. Unlike their dress, their garb was all light and life with the fluid cant of a born storyteller. And light and life uh, is, a, is another one of those phrases that should be acutely aware to Star Wars fans who are reading the High Republic, right? Everything we do in the High Republic is for light and life. Yes, thank you, Eric, for bringing in that. You're welcome. It's the, vis- it's the visual aid. It's... That that one would just be a crazy random happenstance because Emma had not read a the High Republic stuff that I'm okay. aware of uh, when we were developing this, God, uh, f- and I like I didn't suggest that we add it specifically as a so that's just wow just the forest straight up that is coincidences <laughs> do happen I love that which by the way happens a lot oh sure. it happens a lot it happens more than I think people <laughs> oh, anticipate sure. but yeah it's sometimes awesome. just like yeah. it just works out. And the creator is nice, just like, Charles. yeah, oh, yeah, that was totally on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Heck, if you can lead into it, yeah. why not? Why not? Thanks That's for a great right. story. Absolutely. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. That's what my grandpa said. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Real <What>? quote. <laughs> Real quote. Really? Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, I know. He was great. <laughs> so here's another quote for you. Admittedly, even in his prime, he had run into no small amount of difficulty differentiating and being sensitive to the manipulation of the white flare and black current from a being merely saturated with it. And I think that this was just a good reiteration that the force is an energy field created by all living things, surrounds us, penetrates, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, right? It, it, it binds the galaxy together. It's not just the force for force users. There are people who are just saturated with the force, even though they can't manipulate it or use it or recognize it per se so i felt like that was Mm. a subtle callback maybe to some of the earliest information that we got about what is the force like that that was kind of a tease there charles you started the quote and then you just said et cetera et cetera et cetera and i i that that hurt my my soul (laughs) like tell me about the rocks and the trees i mean come on yes yes what are we doing here now here's an even this is maybe my favorite Easter egg that I can't imagine was intentional, Tom. So I want to hear your input on this. But this struck me personally. The quote says, He could only think with the frenetic need of a drowning man that he had to get away to find high ground. And the high ground is very important, especially to someone like myself as a massive Obi-Wan fan. Uh, you know, people shouldn't try it when they don't have it. Here he was just searching for it. The high ground, I feel like that's. That has some context within Star Wars. Yeah, that, I mean, that, if I remember correctly, the, those words were in there from, like, the very first version of that scene. Uh, so we'd have to ask Emma if that is meant to be a reference to having the high ground. Mm. My guess is in this scene it's probably not because that scene is just, like, tense with drama and he's, like, afraid and trying to get away and literally is just trying to get mm. higher. Yeah. 
But the high again, ground. <laughs> much yeah. like Shatterpoint, like when you use some of these phrases, even not in a a way that is for purposes of homage, like they kind of inherently become homage no matter what. Sure. Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And this next quote is really similar to that one. I feel like uh, we got the quote: "He saw what would come next in the fragment of his mind's eye, where he at times beheld such things—a flash colored by the visceral shades of shifting possibility." And so this felt like kind of two references in one to me. One, the fragment of his mind's eye feels like reference to Splinter of the Mind's Eye, right? And at the same time, talking about the visceral shades of shifting possibility. <laughs> A bit of a reference to Yoda's, you know, always in motion, the future is. I felt like it was a little bit of a callback to both of those things. I like yeah. it. It is, they're all stretches, Eric. Let's be clear. They're all I stretches. Say, yeah, no, no. I, <laughs> hey, Charles, I just turned 30. I'm familiar with stretching now, okay? Like, I understand now the importance of it. Yes. So. Uh, uh, all right. So the Kyber Mirror of Shinsui Temple is not the only Kyber Mirror that we know of, right? Remember, Kyber Mirrors were also located under the Dome of Deliverance on Jeddah. And they were only available on Reflection Day, as shown in George Mann and Kevin Scott's Life Day Treasury. So if you have not yet picked that up or haven't read it, it's a great holiday read that's kind of the intent. And you can learn a little bit more about Kyber Mirrors in and of themselves. All right. Um, Now, at, at one point in this story, Osmanthus is mentioned, which is... As I learned after Googling it, a plant native to East Asia here in the real world, okay? <laughs> and a lot of times when I see plants or foods or animals or those sorts of things in Star Wars books, I look them up right away on the Wook or some such because I'm like, what is this? What is this a reference to? What has it been in before? Osmanthus is real. And I felt like this was just a great detail to point out how heavily Japanese culture was pulled into this book, right? Despite this being mm. in a galaxy yeah. far, far away, it literally pulls in something from the other side of our world, which is pretty cool. Yeah, Love that's that. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, here's another quote for you. If the guard had actually seen the Ronin's decades younger face on a ship roster, then he had also seen the name the Ronin carried at the time. <coughs> that meant he recognized exactly whom his lord had seen fit to imprison on the reverend, but he was afraid to admit it. And I wanted to bring this quote up because on the heels of discussing the power behind a name in our Tempest Runner roundtable, it was interesting Mm -hmm. to see the exact opposite here, the power behind the absence of a name. Like we never learn Mm -hmm. who the Ronin was. He's the Dark Lord, quote unquote. We never get his name. And that's something that will probably always haunt me a little bit. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I want to know. It's like, it's like I want to know his name, but I don't want to know his name. Right. Like, I want to know Yoda's species, but I don't at the same time. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. I just, Is it that moment when we heard Grogu and we're like, I mean, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what if we never knew? Yeah. yeah right. No shade to Grogu. I, love I mean, you, I mean the options were either Grogu or Baby Yoda forever. So That's true. I'm fine Troy, you make a great point. <laughs> you make a great point. And it's all about SEO. Yeah, it's all about right. SEO. Yeah. Now, the next quote says this, Fox pointed to a panel in the wall beside which an understated key lock was affixed. Janitorial station, they explained. And, and anytime I hear anything janitorial now, it feels like a reference to Finn at this point, right? Like, it's just like... It ha- it, it what was your job here? <laughs> exactly. Um, now, Akia, the guy used to Akia makes a quote 
when she's talking to Chi and says, what are we going to learn on the news that we didn't figure out firsthand? And she says, the news isn't for facts, dear. It's for feelings. It's to our benefit to know how the people feel and how they've been told to. And Eric, I think it was you that brought up that writers write for their time uh, last mm-hmm. week. And I just felt like this quote just like reached out of the book and kind of slapped me in the face. And there's another great example yeah, right. for how Emma pulled yeah. that into, into this book. That straight up sounds like a quote from Succession. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm agreeing. Corey, I appreciate you nodding like you've ever watched Succession. I appreciate No, I don't know. I have no idea what that is. What are you talking about? It's great. <laughs> it's an HBO show. It's phenomenal. I don't watch yeah, TV. No, was, I start businesses and build trailers and have many. Don't episodes. watch the news. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and now, just to kind of wrap this up, yo, because I don't, I really don't have much more. I skipped a couple that I felt like were even bigger stretches, and <laughs> I didn't want Eric to pull a muscle, so I'm going to leave those behind. <laughs> uh, some favorite quotes to kind of wrap this up. I, I kind of wanted to end this by uh, really highlighting some of Emma's writing because it really is sure. so. Wait, unique. wait, 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 wait. Wait a second. Oh. Yeah, what's up? You you missed the one you missed the one that oh. was actually intentional. What is it? Let's hear oh it. Oh my god, what is it? Actually, you missed the one that was actually intentional and you missed the one I that missed it I thought all? was intentional. I missed it all. Okay. I don't know. Let's well, no, maybe you had this written down. So there's the quote about them talking about um the stories and like the knight who let his brother um who let his brother like basically kill him. I'm forgetting the word for word quote only to like rise up and train the next generation. And the, the old master who passed to the, to the whims of time mm-hmm. who like stayed mm-hmm. around to whatever. Oh yeah. That's like definitely sure. like an Obi-Wan, you know, sure. killed by, by Vader. And mm-hmm. the second one, because the uses her pronouns is probably a reference to Leia. I've never actually asked Emma that, but it's probably a reference to Leia. So that's the one that's like, I mean, it's basic. It's, it's as close. It's, it's, it's intentional because then it's like yeah. one wonders yeah. if we live yeah. in such times. The one that I thought was intentional the first time I read it, and when I asked her, she was like, absolutely not, no idea that you were thinking that, cool, um, was there's a line about uh, talking about a uh, an old Jedi or an old master and something about uh, who had concealed a lightsaber, who had like escaped or run off to like a desert planet and like concealed their lightsaber in like a walking stick or whatever. Hmm. And I was like, is that uh-huh. a reference to Darth Maul? Um, uh, because of, you know, if you think about Maul's lightsaber in the later years in Rebels and stuff like that, I was like, was this a, is this a reference to like an exiled Darth Maul? It's not, but it, it can be if you read it, you know, if you read it and think of Maul, like that's the way, that's what I thought of the first time. That's yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's good. But because of the nature of this book, obviously there are not as many sort of wholly intentional, like connective bits because they're, they're obviously kind of can't be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, I love this. It's always so fun to try to find stuff and just make little connections. So mm-hmm. anything that we can't find, even in a book like this, is really fun to point out. But let's talk yeah. about some favorite quotes here. And these are just ones I pulled out. I mean, obviously, you could almost pull a quote from any page on this book, and there's some powerful stuff there. Seriously. But just a few. Um, had she been anything but Sith? He would have passed through this village as indifferently as a cold wind. That was something very early on that is just so visceral to me. I, I loved that. Um, every act of great power came from great need. That feels like a little like Spider-Man uh, level of, of great <laughs> quote right there. Very simple but very powerful in its idea. Uh, Jedi don't leave bones. Not the good ones. The spirits take them. That was pretty wonderful. 
I like that. Mm-hmm. Fox, late in this book, says, I can tell you who I think I am, who I'd like to be, someone who corrects their mistakes, who ensures the world won't suffer over much for what they've already done wrong. I think that's a nice call to action probably for all of us. Nice reminder for all of us. Yeah. Uh, which prince thinks he wins the next war by telling us how his father won the last one? Love that quote. Oh, yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a couple more here. Truth is suffering. It is violence without justice. It is the inevitable pain of a wrong that cannot be undone, a rip that cannot be unmade. It is man and empire. It is the dead. They are truth. That was from quite near the end of the book. And then finally, Akia had a dozen different ways to finish that argument. Words about making home and finding peace where you ended up, not in far-gone fantasies, or helping the people in front of you, not the ghosts you'd already lost. And, and that idea of making home where you end up is something that's so essential to Star Wars. Um, you know, found family we talk about all the time with Star Wars, and so I thought that was, that was really powerful. And those are just some of the quotes, again, you could pick yeah. from any page in this book, but... Emma just did amazing stuff, amazing writing. Can I add, can I add a couple in here? Yeah, please. Is that okay? Please. At the end here, uh, we had one that said um, they thought it a good way to tell children who they should die for. Mm. Yes, which I thought was a great. Oh, I was a key. I talk about. Yeah, Sith. that's a great one. Um, he could avoid his sins no longer. Of course, he couldn't. They had at last begun to haunt him. Uh, and then in chapter thirteen, I just wrote in my notes a murder gaggle. Of teething rancors. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the plural now. A, a, <laughs> a, a gaggle. gaggle of teething <laughs> a gaggle. rancors. A gaggle. I appreciated that. Um, I think that was... Oh, and then uh, in uh, chapter 42, one of the last ones that really just kind of hit me, said he hadn't earned fatherhood. She gave it to him not as reward, but as a blade through a hand. And Ouch. I was like, happy Father's Day out there to everybody. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, and Cheryl's oh, yeah. Ones. Cheryl has that one in the chat. Wes, he responded to, which is just Fox saying, "I am holding a cat." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a mortal quote. Very good. Very good. Yes. Do not touch. All right. Well, yeah. That's that's all the time that we have this week. Um, Tom, before everyone else goes around and re-rates the book and, and gives their final thoughts, do you have any last thoughts on what it meant to work? on this novel, any, any special memories, anything else that you'd like to share? Oh, um, I mean this one, uh, I don't pick favorite projects or favorite books because it's not a thing that I can do because each one that I'm working on is special or my favorite in some way. Um, and so I don't pick favorites, but this one obviously real will always remain notable because of the circumstances of its creation and the kind of, the scope of it and what it's related to and it just sitting aside other books that I have and when will work on um, and getting to work with someone like Emma that that challenged me so much um, but the one notable thing that I will leave everyone with because I teased it last yes. conversation was talking just ever briefly about the voice which was that originally the voice did not exist in the book the character of the witch existed the character of the daughter the heir existed Everything about it existed. But originally there was no voice. And the reason why the voice exists is that this book is very, um, uh, it's very 
back heavy in terms of information. Like you learn a lot of the truth about what's going on in the story in the last couple chapters. You obviously don't even learn that the daughter exists until you're literally in the scene. Right. <laughs> and thus you learn a lot of the truth about the witch and what was going on and what has happened to her at the very end of the book. The problem was that that creates a challenge where you're asking a reader to learn about a thing, learn why the thing is important, and learn about how the thing resolves all in the span of the same like five pages, sure. which is not really great for storytelling because it doesn't give the reader any time to get invested in the thing, to sort of build up to, to you know, having a theory or desire and then seeing the outcome. It's kind of too much at once, right? It's like, why do I care about this thing? I just learned about it five seconds ago. And so we came up with this idea of this mysterious voice that would talk to the Ronin the entire book and eventually talk to Kori and give out information and be basically the tap by which we could sprinkle out information about both the truth of what, of what had happened to him and also the truth about who this witch character was. So that by the time you get to the end of the book, you've actually had most of that information given out to you. And the only thing that the book is asking you to reckon with in a, you learn about it and you need to care about it in the same to the same page is the twist of the daughter. Mm. But because of the existence of the voice, you now get to focus solely and purely on the existence and the twist of the voice was not the voice you thought it was the whole time. It was this other character and this other moment and this big climactic turn. And so that's why the voice exists. But the voice did not originally exist. Originally, you heard the sort of gossip about the witch, and you get the bits of story from the traveler giving their stories, but that was it. Anything else about like the identity of the witch or their personality or their truth was all in the last two or three chapters. Wow. And so ultimately, the voice is sort of a, a, a solution to an editorial challenge, a solution to a storytelling challenge. And that's why it's there. Awesome. And that's the kind of thing, like, you know, we, we who are not in the publishing industry, like, would never think about. Because, oh, the character's there because the character exists. And it's like, no, sometimes there is literally an issue with the formatting and the, the story construction that a character can come in and save. Yeah. She, the voice also solves the problem of how do you get a character who doesn't want to tell you about himself to tell you about right, his conversations well have somebody else do it yeah well who's gonna do it if you're in his head the whole time that's the all right just voice. put somebody in his head yeah. <laughs> just put another voice in his head so that's why that's there Man. awesome i can't even imagine the book without the voice at this no, point like trying to even think back like yeah. that is like i can't i can't even make it yeah so that's awesome thank you for that yeah. tom and and for joining yeah, us man. as well um it's been a lot of fun um uh, and now I, I do want to throw it to everyone else here. I want to give you a chance to re-rate this book, and I want to give you uh, the floor for any final thoughts. And I think we started with Wes at the front of this roundtable. So, Wes, I'm going to come to you first. Okay. Um, I'm going to increase my rating. Um, obviously, since we talked about it, it helped me understand it a lot more. Tom, you definitely helped me understand it a lot more. Um so I'm going to re-rate um, to an 8.4. I think I was nice. in 7, <clears throat> 7. 7.8 or 7.7 or something like that. Um, yeah, so it definitely warrants a reread. Uh, reading it once through, for anybody that's read it once through and that's it, and needs um, 
you need more detail and having even having this this round table to listen to for both um both sessions that we did would help you understand the book much like it did myself i guess i'm just speaking just for myself because <laughs> it helped out a lot um, which is what we do on this on the show essentially we speak correct, for ourselves yeah. <laughs> and um i mean just i could probably reread this book or re-listen to this book um in probably two weeks just on my commute to work it wouldn't take any like any kind of um extra effort on my part in reading a book at home um and so i would undoubtedly know the details now when i'm going through it um just because i've read it once before i've already got a frame of reference so now it's easier to read um but with all those extra details um that's kind of why i uh and you the explanations on on what the actual kyber mirror is and how um it responds and the white flare and the uh and the black current it was great so yeah i i increased it to from a seven ish and then to a eight point to an eight point four all right no nice. i love it uh cory i think you were second let's hear your thoughts yeah, I'm actually going to bump my score up a little bit, too, as well. I'm going to go up to a 9, um, actually. I mean, I think this book, I mean, to say that it's like it's heavy or deep is is a bit of an understatement. I, I think <laughs> I think this is the closest to academic that we've ever gotten in a Star Wars book, which is in its own yeah, sure. way, like, super rewarding, because I don't think this is not a book you can speed read. This is not a book you can just skim and just kind of get through like this one requires you know tea and quiet <laughs> and reflection and i think that's the point right i mean i think i think this is a book that's supposed to make you think like mm -hmm. there are subtle complexities that that are super rewarding to ponder and i think emma did an incredible incredible job um considering this is the first thing she's ever published in star wars first thing she's ever published is mind-blowing i mean yeah like i i can't be thankful enough that we got to chat with her about the book and it's cool i mean this this is a uh, it's it's new it's its own category now and uh i'm super glad that that she got to be the one to sort of introduce us to it yeah and eric yeah. what do you think all right, I think I'll I'll, I'll continue the trend. I'll, I'll bump mine up. Uh, I think I was at like a nine one or something. I'll go at nine. I'll go at nine five on this. I because I think that like Corey was saying, this requires such marination and time, and that's what we got. I mean, at, since I finished the book, I talked to Emma for an hour, and then we had these four hours of chats, and like that, I think for this book even more so than any others is just so helpful and cool because it adds so much and you're able to think about so much and i'm really able to reflect on what an achievement it was to make this book what it was um i i i like like Corey said i cannot believe what emma did with their first published book here i'm very excited to see what in the world the archive on dying becomes after this um and i just think that this book is such a cool testament to what star wars can be and Honestly, if you're never a person that creates an atmosphere when you read, like d dim lights, put on some music, do like have the tea, like do the steps. It really is a really cool atmospheric book, and I think it's gonna affect how I read going forward with a lot more others. So happily in nine five, this is an achievement of a book that I hope I have time to go back through 
but knowing the publishing schedule as Tom, you do quite intimately, I will not. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to join you, Eric. I think I was just a little bit below you the first time around. I'm going to join you at a 9.5. I, I thought this book was absolutely incredible. It was the perfect blend of new and familiar. And someone said last week, I can't remember who it was, uh, that this is, would be a great book club book. And like that's so tr- this book was like built for Utini to to have a community yeah. mm-hmm. to discuss this book and to have this time set aside to do this. I think I'd probably go crazy if I read this book on my own and had no one to talk to. Like I would be online looking for forums. I would probably stumble across Utini mm. trying to talk to people about this book. And it's been a ton of fun to watch all the conversations behind the scenes to have these few hours of conversation with y'all now. Um I, I love this. This this book breeds the the companionship that we built this for, and that's 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 been a lot of fun to witness. So, yeah, that's that's it for the roundtable, guys. Um, it, it maybe there was enough material that we cut out just to get this down to two parts that we could even come back and talk about this again one day. But for now, I'm gonna kick it back to Eric to take us home. All right, folks, we're going to do a visual here for our audio listeners. Just know I'm holding up Ronan. We just did that tomorrow. Ba-bam. It's time for Thrawn Ascendancy Lesser Evil. And this is when I, on the show, remind Corey, Charles, and Wes. This book (laughs) is this long. (laughs) There is a (laughs) roundtable coming up. I would suggest beginning it as soon as you can. Um, Again, check out utini.com and our YouTube channel tomorrow to check out our reviews of Timothy Zahn's last Throne Ascendancy book, maybe his last Star Wars book. We'll see. Um, very intrigued for that. Again, thank you all for watching. Thank you to Tom for coming on uh, both weeks to talk about this amazing achievement. And if you were watching us tonight, go back, uh, as we will, and check out Tom's talk with Tim Zahn on Mysterious Galaxy on YouTube uh, and check out all the things you need to know about our favorite Chiss Admiral, uh, who... It's all in the review. Read it tomorrow. But that'll do it, my friends, for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, thank you so much for that support. We hope you enjoy that Attack of the Clones commentary. Rogue One is coming, and in 20 bucks, it'll be your Range of the Sith. A special thank you to Cheryl Bell, OK Endar, Jeremy Kazina, JG Kars, Earl Q, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council, and Matt Billington, Tyler Latour, Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, Freddie C., and Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. Charles is at C. Hankel. Wes is at Boss West. And Tom is at Darth Internus. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor. Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire. And Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey, Charles, Wes, and Tom for podcasting with me tonight. Thanks to all of you for checking out this and the books. And as always, may the force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you. Always.